We've been a part of a lot of different church communities over the past few years, but AOX has always, always, always felt like home in my heart. And I really feel like um, a lot of the things that we add to other church communities that we go to are because of what the Lord did in us and in, in our marriage and our relationship and me, our family here. Like this community has been the place that has really shaped what it looks like to follow Jesus for me. Um, regardless of season or geographic location, if that makes sense. Like what it means to be a son or a daughter, what it means to, to practice the way of Jesus. Um, and so I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and so since there's people here that don't know me and there's people here who I've never met, I just thought it'd be cool to like, well, I do have like a specific word that I feel like the Lord has for this house, for this family. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit of my story first. Uh, because the more that I've been thinking through it this weekend, and like every conversation I've had with every single person I've talked to, worship this morning, what Brad just shared, it's all kind of like affirming this word. Uh, and so I feel like really secure in the things that I'm going to say uh, to the community. And I think it's for the church generally, but for us specifically, and probably some individuals in this room especially, uh, myself included. And so the question that I've been really wrestling with this week uh, that I want us to all consider is, are you a friend of the bridegroom or are you always a bridesmaid, never the bride? Like, are we a friend of the bridegroom? Is that the perspective that we live our life from? Or is it more, I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride? Because the way that we will answer this question deeply impacts the quality of our life with Jesus in community, and especially when things don't go the way that we anticipate they're supposed to go. Um, this has a big, big impact. And so I just want to share a little bit of my story first uh, and how I've kind of dealt with this. And so I grew up in Washington, PA. Anybody know Washington? Yeah, let's go. Shout out. Uh, so I grew up in Washington, PA, really poor. I uh, grew up in the projects. My parents were drug addicts. Um, we were in and out of shelters. There was a lot of instability and violence in my life as a kid. Uh, I started selling drugs in high school. I actually dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old uh, and had an apartment with my cousin and was doing all kinds of craziness. But I have an aunt who's a Christian uh, and she's like the only Christian in my dad's side of the family. And she basically just challenged me to move in with her in Columbus, Ohio, graduate high school, and then said, you can do whatever you want. But I lived with her and uh, through that is how I, I had, in order to live with her, I had to go to church twice a week. I either had to go to youth group and Sunday service, or I had to go to like Wednesday evening service, and I was not about that Wednesday evening service. <laughs> so uh, I went to youth group, and, and that plays a role in, in my story later on. But I also, while I was there, um, I, I got a scholarship for a summer program at NYU to do screenwriting. And so through that screenwriting scholarship at NYU, I ended up getting a scholarship to go to NYU like for my undergrad um, to study. And when I moved to New York City, first-generation college student, like, still not following the Lord, I'd had some encounters with Jesus when I lived with my aunt, um, and I have friends from that place that some of you guys know, I used to be a part of this community called FIRE, and so we have a lot of, like, friends like Jasmine and Ryan, like, I went to high school with Jasmine and Tate, or now Weiler, Wheeler? Wheeler, Wheeler. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. And um, so, like, I grew up with them, and we had these encounters in high school, um, but I was still doing my own thing. Moved to NYU, moved to New York, and I started having some success as a rapper. Um, so I started having some like pretty solid success as a rapper, working my way up there. My whole identity was just to like 
make it as a musician and to like take care of my family, yes, but like to pursue my dream uh, of making music and being an artist. And my whole identity up to that point was built on David the rapper or David the artist. And then I have this radical encounter with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Yeshua Hamashiach. You might know him by many names. Um, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, this is my favorite hoodie. Side note, you guys will love this. I got it off an Instagram ad. I am the target person for Instagram ads. If you have a small business, it works, okay? Um, yeah, art of homage. Anyways, so I had this radical encounter with the Lord, uh, and what it really did was confronted me with what my identity was built upon. And um, I had a summer, I was just reading the Bible and, and I felt like the Lord was drawing me to him and I knew it was gonna mean I was gonna have to lay down some other identities. I was gonna have to lay down who I was up until that point and I didn't know how to do that, but I knew that Jesus was worth it. I was convinced and convicted by the beauty of Jesus that I found in the gospel and that I saw in the church. I actually was convinced and convicted by his dream, which is the church. Like, this is just a side note for free. I don't know if you know that the church, what we're doing right now in this room, that's God's dream. That's Jesus' dream. The church is kingdom life now. This is the thing that he came to build on the earth. And so I was convinced and convicted by that. I started moving towards Jesus in that direction. I said yes to him, and I lost everything. Uh, I lost my friends, they thought I was crazy. Uh, I lost all my opportunities with music because I didn't know how to make music as a Christian anymore. Um, I lost all of that stuff, but I really gained my soul. And then fast forward a little bit, uh, I met Brad that winter actually, like right after I got saved, and it was really impactful. I did Summer in the Grove the following summer um, and got delivered of some demons. That was cool. And then, um, that, was, that was exciting. <laughs> it was exciting times. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, right right around, right here, in this little area right here. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, got delivered some demons and then um, I actually decided to take a year off college and stay here for a year to like figure out what it meant to follow Jesus right uh, to, to live this thing out in community for real and during that time I remember the phrase that Brad always used was like the rototiller like there was a lot of things in my heart and he just had to let the Lord like uh, sort through it that's when I met Candace. And then my, my path became much clearer. I wasn't going to go back to New York. I was going to go to Ohio where she was because I wanted to get married. And so I pursued Candace. Uh, we moved there. We got married. Our first year was there and it was actually really tough. It wasn't what I thought marriage would be like. It was difficult. It was challenging. Um, we almost didn't make it. But thankfully, we had family here and we moved back here to be in community to be around people who could love us and help us walk through the gunk and the hardship that we were dealing with. Um, and so AOX round two, we're getting healed. Our marriage is getting made better, made right. Um, I'm no longer a janitor like I was at the outlet. Also, I went yesterday, it was a terrible decision because it was like Black Friday weekend. I went to get a gift for like um, Holden, but, uh, and then we got lunch there. I used to be the, the guy handing out the samples at the Chinese restaurant. Yes, she remembers. And, uh, and I was like, you guys remember me? And they were like, amigo. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Anyways, um, and so, uh, but yeah, so this time around too, I finished college at Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. I was commuting an hour and a half, like hour every day. I would leave here at like four in the morning, get back late at night, because I was like still working. And I was like at Zoomies. I was a manager at Zoomies out at the outlets. I came up in the world, no more samples, you know? Um, I still can't fix the trucks on the skateboards though. I never, I just skipped that class. Uh, but I finished school. And then I got accepted to the University of Michigan for an MFA in creative writing and fiction. 
And I'm like, what do I want to do with my life, right? I'm not trying to do rapping anymore. I have a family. I think I want to teach. Um, and I still want to write and be an artist. And then God opened the door for me to get accepted to like my dream school, like the number one program um, in the country. Like it's, it's Michigan and Iowa, hyper elite program. And I remember talking to Brad because I also felt called, like, do I want to go to seminary? Do I go here? And he's like, well, you should go to the MFA program if you have the opportunity because not a lot of people, like those people might never walk into a church, but you can be the church in that place, right? You can bring Jesus to that place. Amen. And so, uh, and we actually saw a lot of amazing things, like this like micro revival with like all these people who are like professors at Harvard now, like they got saved in our living room and stuff, like three of them, you know, micro revival. But like out of, out of the, to put it into perspective, out of um, 30 people in the program, like at any given time, probably 22 people came to church or came to our community group or like had encounters with Jesus or asked me to pray for them like in this very, very intense program. Like not what I expected at all. I thought I was gonna be the only Christian and like God did some really cool things. And so um, I'm in this moment. I graduate with my MFA. Uh, I, I'm about to have our first son, our first kid, Henry, who's running around here somewhere. And um, I do really, really well at... Michigan. I, I, I do really well and I win all these awards and I'm about to like sell my first book. I get my, my first literary agent on the way to the hospital to deliver Henry. I like agree to have this guy as like my literary agent and it's just like all about to happen. Let's put a pin in it, Jesse, and then we'll come back. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to, to John chapter one. Um, yeah, we're going to be in John chapter one today. I'm in this season where everything is going better than I could have expected. I feel seen, loved, known, fathered. I feel like I can trust God because I have laid everything down in my life to follow this man named Jesus. I gave him my dreams. I gave him my family. I gave him my ability to produce an income multiple times so that I could follow this man named Jesus. And I felt like I was finally in this season of like not being rewarded necessarily, but like it was all coming together. You know what I mean? Like in the end, like it was all starting to make sense. I was on the path. I was experiencing a life as an artist, living out the kingdom in my field at the highest level yet. And I was still faithful, right? Uh, I was still leading people to Jesus. I wasn't compromising. I was having risky faith in the people talking about sexuality and what the Bible teaches about sexuality in the middle of the lecture hall where People do not believe that at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, like, I mean, I'm, I'm having these things in these conversations, being faithful, and, and the doors keep opening, right? Like, God keeps opening things, and I, and I was happy. Um, and I think a part of that is because I, was, I knew that my worth wasn't, my identity was no longer in those things, right? My, my significance was not in my ability to perform or to produce or to try to chase a dream. And so most of us, I think, in this room, especially people who have been in AOX for a while, you've been around this culture for a while, I feel like we're secure in our significance as a son or a daughter. I feel like we don't feel the need to live a life of compromise because we know who we are and whose we are. We know what we've been called to and who we've been called to. So I don't think this is an issue about like identity for most of us in the community today, but I do think we have to ask the question, what happens when the one you've been waiting for looks different than you expected? Right? What happens when the thing that he's inviting you into plays out a little bit different than what you expected and hoped? 
So let's go to John chapter 1. Father, I pray that uh, you just teach us through your word what it looks like to follow you well, um, to follow you for a really, really long time, to follow you in every season, uh, to burn brightly now, and to keep burning forever. Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, I don't want just flare-ups that burn out. We don't want just flare-ups that burn out. Uh, AOX has been here for like 12, 13 years. Now we want to be here for 26 years and 54 years. And we want to see the gospel move and not just the gospel move and mission and power, but we want to see people, families following Jesus down the generations. Show us what that looks like. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to walk through a little bit of the story of John the Baptist as presented in John's gospel. Um, John, John the Beloved, as they call him. I went to seminary so I can say that. John the Beloved, you know? <laughs> Anyways, um, so John the Baptist, as presented in John's gospel, we can learn from his life about what it actually means to become a friend of the bridegroom. Uh, and so just want to open up verse, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is like John's version of the creation narrative. Uh, he's re, not rewriting, but he's restating what creation looks like through Jesus' perspective. And he's lifting Jesus high above every other name right from the beginning. And he's letting us know that uh, Jesus created reality. Uh, he's not subject to anyone, but everything is subject to him. And also that he is equal to Yahweh, which would have been really, really important for the Jewish readers to know. So he's saying that Jesus isn't just some guy that was walking around uh, Nazareth or whatever. He is the Lord himself. He's the one who delivered us from Pharaoh. He's the God that we've been serving and worshiping all this time. And so we have this big opening about Jesus of cosmic proportions. And yet the second paragraph is not about like Adam and Eve or the history of humanity or uh, whatever you would expect in that moment. The second paragraph right after talking about Jesus as supreme above all is about this random dude named John the Baptist. Uh, Verse six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And so the Bible says that John came as a witness. John the Baptist did something so significant that he gets paragraph two of the gospel. He did something that's so impactful that the writer says, uh, actually, the goal is for everyone to believe through him. Not just the people we talk to, but even us today. Like the origin of the church is tied up in this man's destiny. The origin of you and me sitting in here today worshiping and following Jesus is tied up and connected to something that John the Baptist did. What did he do? Well, he, he was a witness. He used his voice to produce word speech or speech about the word. He uses his voice and his life to testify and to point to and to talk about Jesus. And so we know this. This is uh, basic or fundamental for some of us. But then what did it actually look like? Go down to verse 19. 
So this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? They were trying to figure out if he was the Messiah, the one that they had been waiting for. And he confessed and did not deny, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to, said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. So John came as a witness to testify to the light, which is who? Who's the light? Jesus. So that everyone would believe in Jesus through him. The purpose of his ministry was always to point others to something greater than itself. The purpose of his ministry was always to point other people to someone greater than himself, to redirect the hearts of his people to the Lord. The other gospels use the language of preparing a place. Uh, his job, his role was to prepare a place for the Messiah, to prepare a place for Jesus. And if you go back to Luke 1, this is um, John the Baptist's destiny from his whole life. Like an angel told his dad, this is what your son's going to do when he grows up. This isn't news to him. He grew up knowing that he had a huge purpose for his life, that God had plans for him, that he had significance for his life, that he was set apart and would do something special. But it was actually really healthy because he always knew from the beginning that his calling didn't revolve around him. His calling never centered him. It always centered somebody else, right? It always centered the Lord. And that's what healthy significance looks like. That's what healthy sonship, that's what healthy identity looks like. I know that I'm special, and I also know that the world doesn't revolve around me. I know that I'm called and that I'm chosen and I'm elect and that I'm loved and that I'm beautiful. And I also know that every gift I have, been, have received is to use to bless other people and introduce them into something or to someone else, right? That's right. To prepare a place for Jesus in other people's lives, in my kids' lives, in my neighbors' lives, in my people, my employees' lives, whatever it is, right? That's what it healthy looks like. And so he gets to model this very well. So because he knows this, he doesn't have a Messiah complex. He knows he's not the one that Israel's been waiting for, but the one who prepares a place for him. And he's good with that. He actually embraces it. Now, like I said, this is fundamental, but we have to see it. Uh, so let's keep reading. Verse 24. So uh, the Jewish people who came to him, the priests and the Levites, they had been sent from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are like the definition of the bridesmaids in this story. We'll get to them at the end. They had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked them, why then are you baptizing if you're not the one we've been waiting for? If you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah the prophet, why are you out here baptizing, trying to bring people and purify them and enter them into a new life and reality? What are you actually doing? And John answered, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Now this took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Again, John confessed and did not deny that he was the Messiah. He was self-aware enough to know that the whole thing was not about him, even though he played an important role in the kingdom. He understood his assignment, amen? He knew what he was called to do. And because of that, he could, because of that conviction, he could actually redirect people's affections away from him toward that one. He actually embraced the fact that it wasn't about him and he was eagerly anticipating the one that he was waiting for just like everybody else because he wanted everybody else to encounter the living God. He wanted everybody else, like he was so happy to see Colty come into a relationship with Messiah. Because he, he knew that's what you needed, right? He knew that's what I needed. The only thing that is gonna make my darkness go away is if I have a radical encounter with the light. Mm 
And so his whole purpose was to reveal the light to others. We're all tracking, right? We know that. Do we all understand we're on the same page? And then we all, who is the light that we're waiting for? Can I just, it's Jesus. We all know this. This is basic, Sunday school. The crazy thing that struck me this week as I've been reading it is that John didn't know it was Jesus. John, Jesus' cousin, preparing the place for the one who's going to come after him, even he didn't know that it was Jesus. Like, I don't think that I know that because John says he didn't know. Go to verse 29. So the next day, after he has this debate with the Pharisees, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me. He's more important than me because he was before me. He created everything. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And now I myself have seen and have testified that this is the chosen one. So it's Advent season, right? So we're kind of in a good track. We're, we're on the calendar. A lot happens in this text. John actually admits that he knows, that he did not know that it was Jesus. So imagine Jesus just walks through the door. John has seen Jesus his whole life. They're cousins, they grew up together. They're familiar with one another. He knows that his cousin is a rabbi. He's heard the same stories as everybody else about Jesus surrounding his birth and surrounding his, the promises and the, the, the angels and everything that were connected to Jesus being the Messiah. But for whatever reason, we don't know why, he either does not realize, does not believe, or doesn't know that it's his little cousin is the one that he's been waiting for the one that he's been preparing a place for, the one he has sacrificed everything for, having a marriage, having like a regular social life, eating food that is not raw honey and locusts or something, you know, buying normal clothes, I don't know. Like every single thing in his life has been built around serving this person who was gonna come. He's made real sack, he never had a drink in his life, never cut his hair. All for who? Well, in his mind, the Messiah, the coming one, the king, the one that was promised, the one that's going to be the light and reveal truth to my people. And yet it turns out to be Jesus. Now for us, we have a different perspective of Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. We knew him only as the light from the beginning, right? But John watched this guy grow up. And, and, and I just have to wonder if he felt confused in that moment. Like, if it's not, behold, here comes the Lamb of God, but like, behold, here comes the Lamb. The dove is on, the dove is on him. You know? Wow. That's good. I wonder if he felt confused or let down. Uh, maybe even a little bit jealous, right? Like, if, if the thing that I was waiting for was so great, but it only turns out to be this? Why couldn't I have done things my way along the path, right? Why couldn't it have been me? Jesus can do it. I was better than him at soccer. You know what I mean? Like, 
Why couldn't it be me? At the very least, you're telling me that I gave up everything for this. He had to reckon with that in that moment. See, what the Pharisees did, our definition of the bridesmaids, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. When the Messiah didn't conform to their image and expectation, they crucified him. They allowed bitterness and resentment to grow into something that distanced them from the one they should have been celebrating. And it actually led to the crucifixion on the cross. They allowed their jealousy to transform them into something else. We don't know what John experienced in that moment. It feels very human that he might have felt some of these things. I mean, has anybody else ever had an experience uh, where your expectations of God turned out differently than you thought they were supposed to? Is it just, is it, is it just I? <laughs> like, uh, or but what about the thing that he's called you to looking radically different than what you had hoped and dreamed? Yeah? What did you feel in those moments? <clears throat> Not great. It's <laughs> for me, man. I don't know. Like, I didn't feel too hot, you know? Uh, I don't know what John felt. I know what humans feel. I know what I felt. But we do know what John did. John continued down the path in obedience. John felt the feelings. John reconciled the new reality. And he continued down the path in obedience. And we see this uh, in the next verse, verse 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed him. So immediately he continues proclaiming and he continues pointing other people to Jesus. Oh, this is the light? It doesn't matter how I feel about it. Go be with him. <laughs> Go follow this one. Because I don't, I don't actually have what you need, right? And all the good things that you see in me and all the joy and the life that overflows out of me, it's actually from him. So he keeps proclaiming and pointing others to the light. And then flip over to chapter 3, uh, verse 22, and we'll see what he does. Here's where we get the bridegroom verse. So after this, uh, this is after Jesus uh, has the encounter with Nicodemus, and then after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was abundant there, and people kept coming and were being baptized. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. And we're, we're going to revisit that one in a moment, too. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who is with you across the Jordan to whom you testified, here he is baptizing and everybody's going to him. John answered, well, let's build a bigger church to bring him back. Oh, wait, the Bible doesn't say that? Oh. Let's add some programs. No, okay. Um, John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. Hmm. I ain't even got it to give. <laughs> He's the source. He's the one that has it. Of course everybody's going to him. No one 
can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. In fact, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. Like you guys yourselves are the ones that I told, look, bro, I'm human, I'm gonna let you down. Uh, I can't solve all your problems. I don't have all the answers either. I just have to do what I know that I'm called to do. Come on, that's it. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Come on, man. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John continues down the path in obedience. He keeps proclaiming and pointing others toward the light, and he rejoices with the bridegroom. In the midst of things not looking the way that he thought they would look, he rejoices. Why? Because his greatest dream, the deepest desire of his heart, was never that he would be the center of it all. The deepest desire of his heart was never that he would build the thing and gain recognition and significance from it. The deepest desire of his heart was never that he would be known as the one who did X, Y, or Z. The deepest desire was that the light would be revealed to all. He wanted people to have an encounter with the God of heaven and earth. He wanted people to have an encounter with the only one who could actually set them free. He wanted people to have a relationship with the living God who he had spent his whole life working towards. And when he found out that it didn't look exactly like what he thought it would look like, but he knew that God was on it because the the Lord, the voice of God spoke and said, the one you see a dove descend on and remain is the one. And he saw that, he had that prophetic confirmation. He saw the Holy Spirit descend and land and be and remain and abide is the word and dwell with Jesus. He couldn't deny that he knew the truth. He couldn't deny that this is what God was calling him to. He couldn't deny that this is what it looked like, that he now had to follow Jesus regardless of what it looked like, regardless of the cost. His deepest desire was that the light would be revealed to all and he kept that desire intact. Intact, excuse me. Um, And that's what allowed him to rejoice with the bridegroom instead of becoming bitter and asking, well, what about me? And so here's just a couple questions that we should ask. Are you a friend of the bridegroom who rejoices with Jesus even when things turn out differently than you expect? Like this is for you to deal with in the Holy Spirit. Or are you always a bridesmaid, never the bride, unable to rejoice and bless what God is doing because you're not center stage? And actually, I don't think most of us have the problem of like, it has to be all about me. I think most of us allow bitterness to come in more is because I, I gave my all to you and it didn't turn out how I planned. Amen? Like, I think we're a culture that has a solid identity and built on, like, whatever the cost. <laughs> Jesus, I'll go to Malawi. I'll go to the nations. I'll be a stay-at-home mom. I'll, whatever the cost. Like, I'll do the thing. I'll sacrifice it all. I'll die for the gospel. Take my money. Like, I was talking to uh, Micah the other day. We were just laughing about how we lived in the duplex. Um, uh, how 
to just randomly emptying out our bank accounts when we did not have dollars in them to like bless people who had less than us and just felt like we were saying yes to what obedience looked like, you know? We were saying yes to Jesus in that moment. Um, and, and that's what it was. Like, and, and it was a, we laughed about it. It didn't matter. I'll eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches this week till I get paid because I'm doing what Jesus called me to do. My desire is that somebody else is going to have an encounter with the light. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think most of us, we have a heart set on him. And yet over the years, things creep in when let down after let down or kind of like uh, misperception after misperception creep in and things don't turn out the way we plan. We lose our ability to rejoice with him. We lose our ability to actually see and rejoice at what he is doing in our lives, at what he is doing in our church, at what he is doing in our family, at what he is doing in our marriage, at what he is doing with my music or my dream or my, like whatever the thing that we hold dear, we, because it's not exactly the way we planned it, we can't see the beautiful fruit that he actually is doing in our lives. So like, is that you? Is your deepest desire that the light would be revealed to all, no matter the cost? And are you committed to long obedience in the same direction? Um, And and so I'll just share the rest of my story real quick up to now uh, and what this looks like for me. And then we'll probably spend another two or three hours and then we'll eat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, We're almost done. So will you... These are the, the questions that I just asked are the, the same questions that I felt the Lord asking me recently in the last few years. So we left off. Where did we leave off, Jesse? I was about to sell a book. Do you remember that part? It was good. It was going to be great. I still have it. Um, and right in that season, the pastor of the church that we were at in Michigan uh, got cancer. And it was a church plant. And they didn't have anybody to preach. And they asked Candace to lead worship, and they asked me to start preaching regularly. Easy yes, right? What am I going to do? Um, and so I start preaching, start sharing, start stepping into leadership in a new way, in a context that was new to me. Um, I remember when we first went out there and all the 15-minute worship sets, they were very new to me. Every church was like that, even the vineyard. Uh, I was like, what's happening? Um, <laughs> but uh, they were all very new. But I was being faithful and obedient. I love these people. Then through um, the pastor who we're really good friends with, he's one of our mentors, they wanted to merge with a larger church because he was sick, he didn't know how it was gonna turn out. And so our small church of like 100 merged with this larger church of like 1,000 and they, they asked me to prayerfully consider being the interim pastor of the refuge campus. Um, and so I didn't wanna do that. I had, a, everything was going in the right direction. Like, I had a season of free time. I was going to keep writing and editing and drafting my book. And I was teaching uh, at University of Michigan. And I was just going to, like, keep doing that. I did not want to step into, like, vocational ministry. I wanted to go and preach where my friends had churches and lead a community group or, like, a simple church and just disciple 10 people and watch the guy at the grocery store get saved and just, like, chill. Like, not chill, but, like, be small scale. You know what I mean? I wanted to be, like, a working artist and live the kingdom out in that field. And they just said, pray about it. And so I'm praying, praying, praying. Uh, I probably should have fasted more. I'm not really good at fasting. I try to get better at it (laughs) as I get older. (laughs) 
and I do it sometimes. Um, but I'm praying a lot. You guys know that Chris Renzema song, I Don't Want to Go? Uh, you know that song? Um, I, I'm going to mess up the melody right now, but it's like, the song that's coming to mind is, I don't want to know if you <laughs> which is not the song. Um, <laughs> how did the Chris Renzema song go, babe? Okay. Pivot. Anyways, there's this song where he's just like, um, I don't want to go. If you're not going before me, I don't want to go. If you're not leading me, I don't want to go. Like, like Moses uh, and the Israelites. Like Jesus in the garden. Like David. Like He's like, I just, I don't. And I listened to that song on repeat for like three weeks. And uh, that song, and then what's the Corey Asbury song? Uh, Put me anywhere. You know, like, I just want to see your beauty. Like, I just, that's all it was. I was like, God, like, this has to be my inner life. Like, whatever the call is. That doesn't mean I say yes, but I want to know, I want you to know that whatever the call is, no matter what it costs, I want to do it because it's you. Um, And so I'm just listening to these songs, worshiping, worshiping, and like two, three weeks in, I hear the Lord speak, hey, I'm asking you to walk my bride one more step down the aisle. He said, I'm asking you to walk my bride one more step down the aisle. And when you put it like that, it's really an easy ask. How can I call myself a friend of the bridegroom if he's telling me that his wife needs something? Like if Mike is like, hey, I need you to do this thing for Lish. And I'm like, no, I'm good. How can I call myself his brother? Right? I just need you to walk my bride one more step down the aisle. And it was hard. What's up? Uh, don't please don't talk that. <laughs> it was a sacrifice uh, for my family. We just had our kids. Candace was not about it at the time. Um, I finally felt like I had been given my purpose back. I finally felt. Like, it's time for something in a little bit, okay? Right, you go, uh, you go play. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Here you go. I just don't want to break the guitars. Okay. Um, go. I'm going to come in and go right over there. Daddy, mommy. Daddy. Um, so it was hard for my family because we're in a new season, being figured out how to be parents. Uh, it was hard financially because I was like, what does this look like? And then it was also really hard emotionally and spiritually because I finally felt like I'd been given my purpose back. I finally felt like I'd been able to live my dreams out. This is what it had all been working towards. Like all my suffering, all the things that I gave up, they were finally going to pay off. And I was going to be able to live this life and, and see artists come to Jesus and write books like C.S. Lewis that helped shape generations. And, and then this, this sort of apparent detour came up. And I was like, okay, God, whatever it is, whatever it is. And during that time, I started seminary, um, which had always been a dream because like, I, just, I needed something different like in that era, in that season, and uh, some different kind of answers in depth. And so I'm doing this. I'm like, I'm just going to do this for a year. Then we're going to move to California, plant roots. And I'm going to get a teaching job and just like live our life. And and that's what we did. We served for a year. We moved to California, not trying to do anything ministry wise. I'm just going to go get a job. I got a job at San Diego State University and I was doing after school programs for at risk youth, which is like I get to do everything. I get to have a meaningful job. It's a Christian program serving kids who are growing up the way that I grew up and even worse. And I get to teach and use my uh, credentials to like have that, that, that side of my mind activated and I have time to write and I have space to just be and grow. And yet when we got there, this invitation followed us. Right when the path started to become clear again, that word kept coming up. Uh, 
I'm inviting you to, to walk my bride one more step down the aisle. And so where we're at now, just to like kind of summarize it, uh, we are a part of a church called Park Hill Church in uh, San Diego. And we started going there just to be there, to have community. It's a beautiful community. And um, I got connected with the pastor and he pretty early on in our relationship started asking me to pray about what it looks like to be an embedded church planter, which is essentially like an associate pastor that will then plant a church in a different area of San Diego uh, in, the, in the coming years. They asked me like three times um, to do this and we prayed about it. I said no twice and then finally we were praying, praying as a family and Candice, if you wanna speak into this at all, um, you're more than welcome to, but we're praying about this, praying about this. We finally felt together that God gave us a yes, even though I felt like ministry was the thing that was robbing me of my dreams. <laughs> even though I felt like um, we make pretty good money and now we're about to plant a church in one of the poorest communities in the most expensive city in the United States of America. Um, and I'm gonna be dependent. I'm gonna have to entrust not just myself to the church, but like my family to the church. Uh, even though stewarding community was inconvenient, the invitation remained clear. And so where I'm at now, Candace, and I, don't, I would love for you to speak a little bit, I can go over there with the kids, um, is that I feel like I'm really realizing all that matters in life is pointing people to Jesus, which is like all of us can agree with, whether you're a janitor, a pastor, a stay-at-home mom, you have a business, you're the woodman. Only thing that matters is pointing people to Jesus. Can we all say yes and amen to that? Yeah. Okay. But am I still obedient when the calling doesn't look like what I thought it would? When the calling is clearly from the Lord and it doesn't look like what I thought it would? Because that's what Christian maturity looks like. It looks like becoming a friend of the bridegroom. Um, so I have one more thought, but I would, I would love Candace to share. So, yeah. what, was that? what was the original question? Are you a friend of the bridegroom or always a bridesmaid, never the bride? Uh, which I'll, yeah. That's Candace. Come on, uh, Candace. My thoughts are nice thought out. So um, just sharing with you guys as family, um, as we've thought about, as we prayed into church planning over the last year and a half, my like lingering, like the thorn in my side has been like, Lord, like I feel a lot of clarity around this. I'm sharing this is maybe this is resonant in a different way for y'all. And also so you can be praying for us. Um, I feel a lot of dissonance because like uh, this, this call doesn't feel like it lines up with like my life. <laughs> like I know that you've made me as like this human with like limits. And I already feel like we're at our limits in the way that we're serving. We're both working full time. We're really plugged into our local church. We have toddlers and house and people that are living with us sometimes, like, you know, just normal Christian life. And um, now you want us to, like, shepherd, like, a whole, a whole, like, body of people. Um, and my fear had been, um, like, I don't want to sacrifice my family on, like, the altar of ministry. 
I'm not interested in that. Um, and also, there's, there's this core conviction of, um, I know that we can only reproduce who we are, right? You can only reproduce, you can only bear the fruit of who you actually are in the secret with, your, with the people who know you best. And when we're spread from this end to this end, no matter who you are, no matter how anointed, how holy you are, when you've reached your limits and you're pushing yourself beyond God's calling, yeah. um, it becomes really hard to like live into the character that you feel called to live into. And so I was like, God, I feel like you're calling us to plant this church. I feel like you're calling us to do this thing. Also, it's not a thing that I like really want to do, if I'm honest. Like Dave and I didn't grow up in the church. We've seen like weird things as non-church people. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm fine, like working in the secular world and like being a Christian and they're at like in that place. Um, but as he's been clarifying that calling, um, he's been showing us that there there's another way. Um, and so one, one verse that has come to mind as I was praying for you guys and also like as we're figuring out, our, out ourselves um, is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 7. And I'll read it. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I know that that verse is, talks, is spoken, the principle that it's, sorry, words are hard. The context that verse is utilized a lot in is talking about like finances, and obviously that's applicable. But I also think that sometimes it's like easier to like give money towards something than like your time yeah. and opening your home and like yeah. um, your efforts, your emotional capacity. Like that's really expensive stuff, yeah. especially when you're already feeling like tired. Um, and so there's a couple things here. It's like the Lord in this scripture like empowers us to say like whatever this person has decided in their heart. So there is like a choice that we make. Like we, we choose what we're going to give. Um, and in that discernment, God blows on it and like gives us guidance, right? And so when we're thinking through doing this thing that's going to reorder our entire lives as we know it, like we've been praying and we've been discerning and we've been asking the Lord and, and we've been honest about you know, I had to sit with myself and say, I'm really reluctant to do this, just as I have with like every other thing God's probably called me to. Um, I don't want to do this from a place of compulsion, from a place of, um, yeah, from a place of reluctance. Um, and so I'm just sitting with you, Lord, and I'm just being really honest. And I think this is something that we can do, not just with big things, but with little things. Like that person calls you up and they want to spend time with you and you're like, Lord... I don't really want to give of my time to this person. <laughs> but I'm committed to them. And I know this is what you're calling me to do. This is my brother or sister in Christ. I don't want to open my house. There's toys everywhere. Like, my kids are sick. My, you know, whatever. Whatever it may be for you in your life season. Um, and there's an honesty that the Lord invites us into. Of Like, I don't know how I feel about this. 
Um, but then there's this other piece where he breathes on something. And when you open your hands with honesty before him, he will give you fresh perspective. He will be kind and faithful to not just empower you to do the thing that you've decided in your heart to do, but also more than that. Um, And so sometimes when I've read that verse, I've thought, oh, I have a stinky attitude and I need to like become cheerful so that I can give like the thing that in my own strength I can give. And I feel like the invitation for us and for me in this season has been, what is it that you feel you can do as a human with limits because I've designed those limitations? And then where do you need to radically trust me um, to enlarge your tent and like be a faithful father to you? Because this is something I'm clearly speaking. And so that has been true of like, the church planning conversation that has been true about like the basic tenets of the faith like being committed to the local church hospitality graciousness friendship all of the things and so um yeah i just wanted to share that with you guys today and i'm going to read that just one more time <coughs> the point of this is whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully um and so there's this, there's this, again, call to, to discerning and deciding in your own heart. And then there's also this principle of when you sow bountifully, you will also reap bountifully. And that is also like his wisdom, his perspective, his vision, his endurance, his clarity. Um, and as we've been surrendering and saying, yes, Lord, we're saying yes, we're trusting you with this first step. That decision was made a long time ago. And I, and I feel like we're in a place now where we're standing in this bounty of like, oh, this is how you're going to reorder our life to like preserve our family culture and ensure that like we're, we're doing this from a healthy place. Oh, this is how you're going to financially provide for us. Oh, this is how you're going to care for my children in the midst of this. Like we say yes. And then his bounty shows up and he's just really trustworthy. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. So we'll pray for that at the end, too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I just like three more minutes um, in line with that. So like, to be very clear, <laughs> to be very clear, so we are planting a church. We actually just had the conversation on Monday with our some of our elders at the church. Um, Easter 2024 in San Diego in a neighborhood called Mid-City, Ideally, an even more subset of that called City Heights, which is per capita one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the United States. Uh, San Diego is the eighth biggest city in the U.S. Tons of stuff to do. We want to preach the gospel to the poor. Anybody's welcome, but like, here's what we're doing. You know what I mean? Um, we're going to be with, we're just going to be with the people. And so, um, and we live very close to that neighborhood as well. So there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then, which we'll have updates on eventually, like in, in the future, but... The main, I mean, honestly, you guys have already sewed into it because uh, like a year and a half ago, or two years ago almost, I don't know, but a year and a half ago, I was a part of this uh, church planters cohort called Sea Rock, and you guys took an offering and helped me go there, um, and that's been super fundamental and impactful in my life, uh, and it's helped 
the audience get to like uh, drink from a lot of different wells and, and really grow and, and build relationships. And so that's been huge. Um, but Easter 2024, we're, we're doing that. Would love prayer and support along the journey. Um, and would also love to be in conversations with people along the way for whatever that looks like. Is that clear? So then the last thing, going off what Candace said um, about perspective, the prayer, all of this boiling down to like what my heart was for this community. Uh, John knew that he was called to show people to the light. He then sees the light. It's not what he looks like, but he knows that he knows that he knows. The spirit descends as a dove on him. Um, and he has the revelation that allows him to continue being faithful in the beauty. But even he was challenged to keep remaining faithful till the end. Uh, and, and this is kind of like what I want to leave you guys with. You know, in Matthew 11, um, in Matthew 11, 1 through 11, John is in prison and he forgets what he saw. He's in prison and he asks some of Jesus' disciples, um, hey, is this, go and ask Jesus, is he really the Messiah, yeah. the one we've been waiting for, or should we wait for another? Which is like a crazy question because John is the one who told everybody that this is the one we've been waiting for. John is the first one to see it and declare it to everybody else. And now he is asking probably people that he told to go follow Jesus because Jesus was the one. Hey, is this the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we wait for somebody else? Because he's in prison. He's probably scared. He's definitely tired. He's going to die soon. And he can't see correctly anymore. He already knows Jesus is the one, but he forgets. And Jesus tells him, uh, go back and tell, he tells disciples, go back and tell John what you see. Right? The kingdom is advancing in all these different ways. And so my encouragement for our community is that AOX has been around for how many years now? 12 years. Some of you guys have been following Jesus way longer than that. Uh, you might be jaded from being in community. You might be jaded from experiencing loss and grief in your life and things that didn't pan out the way that you thought they would. Even though you know that you know that you know that 12 years ago, five years ago, 20 years ago, uh, you saw Jesus as the one that you've been waiting for. And right now you're in a situation and season where you're questioning, should I be looking for somebody else? Is this even the one? And I just want you to hear Jesus tell you this morning that he is the one. Come on. That the kingdom is still advancing, that you don't have to regret and trusting yourself to him, even though you're in the proverbial prison, because the kingdom is still advancing. Um, and you're still participating in giving birth to something beautiful. Somebody told me a pregnancy story. Uh, they gave a home birth, and they were struggling to push, and they just were really, really tired at their end, but they had skylights. And the skylights were allowed them to see themselves. And, they, and the, the, the midwife was like, no, just push. It's, you're almost there, you're almost there. They didn't believe, but they looked up and they could see that the baby was actually starting to come out. And that gave them the impetus they needed to push and deliver the child, okay? Sorry, we're all grown. Um, and so uh, that gave them what they needed to actually push. And I felt like that was the metaphor that we need to look up and see what God sees in our life and see what God sees in the travail what we're pushing forward towards, even if we're jaded, even if we've been hurt and let down and broken, and even if we have bitterness that's starting to come inside of us, that there is life happening and coming and you just need to see. The crazy thing is I know we can't um, make that happen. <laughs> you can't just control your own perspective. You need a revelation. 
Things in your life may need to change. Patterns might need to be broken. New habits might need to be formed, but the desire must remain the same. And so my prayer for you guys, and um, Brad, I'll, I'll give it to you. You can pray for us and, and lead us out. But um, are you going to continue to bear witness in this season when it doesn't feel like what it felt like back then? Yeah, come on. Uh, the song that says, though he slay me, yet I will follow. That's a very big part of what Christian maturity looks like, and I feel like that's an invitation for some of us in this room um, today and in this community, and so, and that's gonna hit different for different people. Like, for me, it's like, oh yeah, I still believe I'll write books and I'll do these things, but I might never, and that's okay. For some of you guys, it's a little bit heavier, but I guess my challenge and my prayer is will you continue to center Jesus no matter what? Mm -hmm.